I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. On this edition, we're going to be tackling some of your questions after another difficult uh, few days in the life of an Arsenal fan. Um, it's been tough. It's been hard to take. I think a lot of us recognise that our chances of finishing in the top four and qualifying for next season's Champions League have been significantly damaged by our last couple of results and the fact that the team uh, in particular who are chasing us the most, Tottenham Hotspur, have managed to pick up points and look very good for it now, given that their fixtures look far more favourable than ours. So I understand the the feeling of sort of disappointment and I understand the feeling of frustration. What I don't understand is some of the overreaction that we've seen off the back of that uh, defeat against Brighton. We obviously lost at Crystal Palace, which was disappointing. We lost against Brighton as well. Back-to-back defeats have made our task a lot harder and probably convinced a lot of people that we don't have what it takes to get over the line and finish fourth. And and I've been saying this for weeks. I've been saying it for ages, that top four is not a done deal, that top four is still going to require a hell of a lot more work. And if at any point, during this season, you thought that this team didn't have those kind of performances deep down in there somewhere, then I think you misread the team. I'm sorry to say that. I think that a lot of people sort of got carried away by the form that we showed at various points in the season, just like, you know, this time where we've lost a couple of games and people are all doom and gloom. We've had that at various points in the season as well. The point is that this team this group, this manager, they're not at the level yet where we can expect consistency. And I think the problem is that a lot of people have gotten carried away. A lot of people have looked at the situation and the way it's unfolded in the Premier League. The fact that Manchester United have been below par, the fact that Tottenham had a really, really difficult period as well, um, which culminated in the sacking of their manager. People have looked at that and gone, well, it will be an absolute travesty if Arsenal don't get into the top four now. And look, as I've said repeatedly, if we fail to do that, which we haven't, by the way, yet, because, of course, we are uh, just sort of narrowly behind Spurs with that game in hand as well. But if we are to miss out, of course, come the end of the season, I'll be disappointed. When you look at how it all played out, it's impossible not to be disappointed. It's impossible not to look back on a campaign where we could have done it with regret. But I do believe that part of that is because I got a little bit carried away and and I didn't get as carried away as others. So I can only imagine how hard the fall is going to be for some of those people. But at the end of the day, the very definition of a supporter is to get behind your team and get behind your club. And while our team are still in with a shout, while we're still in the race, while we are still there or thereabouts, we've got to get behind them. We have got to get behind them. And I've seen all sorts of nonsense on social media over the last sort of um, 24 hours. I I was on Lee Judge's TV last night and literally the chat box was full of people giving me grief for sort of defending the fact that we are where we are partly because of Mikel Arteta this season and because of the job that he's done and how some of the players have, um, uh, have performed over the course of the season. I actually started off by 
criticising Mikel Arteta for his team selection at the weekend. I thought he got it horribly wrong. Those of you who are regular viewers, who don't just dip in in and out, who um, follow me and follow the channel and, and read what I write and listen to what I say, will know that I was dead against the changes that Mikel Arteta made. And I, and, and I was critical of him this week. No doubt about that. But that doesn't mean that because I was critical of the decisions he made this week, that he sh I believe he should be sacked. What good is it to sack a manager on April 11th? I, I, I don't see what sort of positive you get out of that. As I've said repeatedly, if we fall outside of the top six, if we miss out on Europe, which is obviously what the goal and the ambition was at the outset of the campaign, then I think we should... Um, I think we should pause at the end of the season and we should have that discussion around whether or not we've seen enough from Mikel Arteta and his team to warrant continuing with them, to warrant continuing with Mikel Arteta at the helm. I think that's a fair discussion to have in the summer if, as I say, we fail to make European, um, uh, fail to qualify for Europe, sorry. But at this stage, it's it's premature and it's over the top and it's crazy. And I don't see what positive or what good the people who are standing on the rooftop screaming for Mikel Arteta to be out are doing uh, going into a vital last few weeks of the season. I just don't get it. End of the season. Let's have the conversation. Let's have the discussion. Let's have the debate. Fine. But now let's just let's just focus on the fact that it's not impossible, that we're still in with a shout and that we're still in a position today much higher than most of you thought we would be in um, at, at this point prior to the, the, the sort of uh, campaign kicking off and, and certainly after those first three games of the season. I've seen people banging on about Matteo Genduzzi today. I've seen people talking about William Saliba. I've seen people talking about Shkodran Mustafi. There's that threat, uh, thread, sorry, on going around on Twitter of the thread of sackable offences that Mikel Arteta has committed since he's been it. What a load of nonsense. I mean, who has sat down, a so-called Arsenal fan, who has sat down and put that together? Because they've got way too much time on their hands. And some of the things they talk about are absolute nonsense. They talk, they complain about the treatment of Matteo Genduzzi. They complain about William Saliba, they complain about Shkodran Mustafi, they're just literally looking for any little thing to have a go about. And that for me is not supporting a club. That's not supporting the team. You can be unhappy with the team's current position and with where we are, but still be a supporter. So perhaps some of those people out there need to look in the mirror and, and reflect are you a supporter of this football club or are you a critic? Because it's two different things. Now, you can be critical while supporting because you can be uh, productive in your criticism. You can be constructive in your criticism. But some of the criticism that we've seen over the last 24 hours has been way over the top. It's been well overblown. And what I would say to those people who at the start of the season were telling us we were going to finish mid-table and we were going to finish eighth, to be in the run for the top four at this stage in the season, well, that doesn't tell me that Arsenal having a disaster campaign. It tells me that you, those of you who sat there at the start of the season and predicted us being in eighth place mid-table and without a chance of making the top four, don't know football, don't understand football. It tells me that your prediction was awful. And now you're trying to deflect from it. Now, you're, now you've now you realised that your prediction was shocking. 
you said we were going to finish eighth or you said that top four, we weren't going to be in with any chance of achieving that, then your prediction was wrong because we're going into the last month of the season in a position to take that place. So your prediction was way off the mark. Just acknowledge it, own it. You know, what's with trying to find other... Let's write a thread that probably took me a whole day on reasons that Mikel Arteta should have been sacked. Well, he hasn't been sacked and he's the manager of this football club right now. So if you call yourself a supporter, get behind the team, support the team, support those boys when they go out on the pitch between now and the end of the season and give them the best possible chance of making the top four. We might miss out. We might fail. But at least you'd have supported the club. The very definition of what some of you claim to be, supporters. It drives me absolutely crazy. Listen, I'm a big boy. I can take it when people come at me on social media. I've gotten used to it over the last couple of years. I can take it when people write things about me on Twitter. I can take it when people put things in the comment section. One of the things that has really irritated me, though, over the last 24 hours is people putting words in my mouth, people pretending I've said things that I didn't say. Um, and I've got a real big issue with that. Somebody on the 90 Min show today put in the comment section, look at this hypocrite. He wanted Emil Smith-Rowe to play in Granite Xhaka's position. And when Mikel Arteta did that, he criticised Mikel Arteta. What? When did I ever, ever say that I wanted Emil Smith-Rowe to play as a deep-line midfielder? I would never have said such a thing. Yet people want to call me out on it. I've had another one on Twitter earlier on today telling me that um, that I said it was, or I think the quote was, you said it's acceptable for Arsenal to have spent nearly £300 million and finished below Wolves and West Ham on Lee Judge's TV. I didn't even mention West Ham. The words West Ham or Wolves didn't come out of my mouth at all. That's the bit that irritates me when people sort of take something you say and they read, try and read between the lines and they construct their own sort of quotes and their own opinions and then attribute them to you. Nonsense. I didn't say that. Um, and, and that's irritating and that's frustrating. But there are a lot of concerns among the fan base. And I think that those concerns in a lot of it areas are valid and are genuine. And so I wanted to do a Q&A today um, and I wanted to address some of those concerns and address some of the um, the issues that you guys are seeing and talk through them and talk about them and give you my opinions on them and give you um, my views on them. That's what we're going to do on this edition of the show. Got some questions already from Twitter, but feel free um, in the second part of the show so that I don't lose them in the chat to drop yours if you're watching us live uh, into the comments and we'll pick up as many of those uh, as we can as well. But just kind of a final thing on the the reaction to the defeat against Brighton and the reaction to um, sort of obviously a disappointment uh, in the last week, a couple of disappointments within the last week. I I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you looked at that Arsenal team, if you really watched them every single week, closely analysed, did your bit, um, you would have known that this team weren't going to win every remaining game of the Premier League season. You would have known that this team were going to slip up and you would have known that with a couple of key injuries in key areas, in fact, three injuries in three really key areas, that this team was going to struggle. Um, 
you know, that's that was always the reality. And what I don't get is is people who go, this team is rubbish. This manager is rubbish. We're never going to achieve anything under him. But then four or five weeks later, you're outraged at the fact that we're sitting in fifth place with a game in hand over the fourth place side and with a chance of getting into the top four going into the last few weeks. It's hypocritical. And how people can't see that um, is beyond me. It's honestly, it's beyond me. I, I don't agree. Sorry, I don't expect everybody to agree with every opinion I have on Arsenal. I don't expect every uh, people to be in the chat box and not challenge me. No, that's that's not what this is about. The very nature of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, which is one of the few podcasts where it's one guy normally talking at you, um, is that we have that interaction and we have that back and forth in the chat. That's the very makeup of this show. And I've got no problem with people challenging me. I've got a problem with people pretending I said things that I didn't. And I have got a problem with people overstepping that mark. Mike Tyson um, gave a, re a, a really good quote um, on social media when he was asked about social media a few years ago now. And I always kind of revert back to this because I think this is so true. Mike Tyson said social media made you all way too comfortable with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the face for it. And that's exactly right, because I've known people to be in the streams on Twitter, to be really kind of abusive and really kind of like over the top and aggressive in their opinions, and then come up to me at Emirates and say, oh, I'm so-and-so from Twitter. I'm so-and-so from YouTube. I uh, just wanted to say, keep up the great work, man. High five, whatever, and walk off. And why are you giving me shit for on, online? Because people feel that behind the computer screen, they can say basically whatever they want. And it's completely unacceptable. And, and I ain't got time to entertain it. Um, but it's, it's expected now. It's, it's part of uh, society, unfortunately. Um, it just shows that people nowadays have got very little respect for one another. Um, but I want people to challenge me with counter arguments. I want people to make points that I have to think about and I have to try and answer and I have to get engaged in a debate and a discussion over. I don't want to say, oh, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. Mikel Arteta's lawyer, blah, blah, blah. If I had a pound for every time I've heard that in the last year, I would be a millionaire. But anyway, um, let's, uh, let's address some of the questions and some of the stuff that you guys uh, wanted to uh, talk about on uh, today's show. Let me just head over uh, to my Twitter page and I'll pick up some of them from Twitter, as I say. And then, of course, we'll do uh, some of them uh, from the YouTube chat as well. Um, let's take um, this one from Harv Reynolds, who says, maybe discuss the constant crying about how we're in disaster and completely out of the top four, despite only being three points off with a game in hand and everyone forgetting this is the youngest team in the league with fifth or sixth being the realistic target at the start of the season. Um, I think that's absolutely spot on. I think that for me, as I keep saying, and, I, and I'll go back to it one final time, if you thought that this team were going to be flawless for what remains of the season. If you thought that this team weren't one or two injuries away from being up shit street, if you thought that inconsistency wasn't going to rear its ugly head at some point between now and the end of the campaign, then you misread the team and you misread the progress that we have made um, for being more than it actually was. And you misread the level 
at which we're currently operating. Because there have been a lot of games where we've picked up points this season where we maybe haven't deserved to, where we maybe haven't been, um, you know, where we haven't always been at the level required and we've had a stroke of luck or, or you know, we've we've managed to rally late on in a game and get ourselves over the line. So I think that it's it's not it's not unexpected to see Arsenal drop points. It's not unexpected to see Arsenal in a battle for the top four, as opposed to three weeks ago when people thought that we were cruising to it. I, I repeatedly maintained that we were never going to cruise to it because of the fixtures we have left and because of, of how close we are to being a much weaker side in the absence of two, three players. Um, so as I think you're absolutely spot on, Harv. I think that the, the reaction... Um, listen, immediately after a game, I always feel angry, disappointed, and a lot more emotional than I do in the coming days. But what's really concerning about the Arsenal fan base is that it feels like that outrage, it continues for a while. And I've got to the point where I don't even believe that half of you are as outraged as you want to put across. I think that we've got to this place in the world where people think that the more um, the more outraged I seem, the better a fan it makes me look. And it's completely the opposite. Supporters express their opinions. Supporters expressed, uh, sorry, expressed their concerns. And supporters criticise constructively. Critics don't do that. So what are you, an Arsenal fan or an Arsenal critic? Because you can't be um, someone, you, you can't say you're balanced if you're sort of, if, if you're critical at every turn. Were you sort of saying that Mikel Arteta was the greatest and the team were going to finish in the top four a few weeks ago? If so, and now you're saying what you're saying, you're a flip-flop. It's, 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 you see what I mean? There's There's so much hypocrisy within the way that we portray our opinions on football. And and as I say, I think we all know that there's been an upsurge in this fan media culture. Um, and I'm not going to knock that because that's helped me get into a career in the media out of nothing. I was in banking before. I had nothing to do with the media. I was sitting in my room sort of uh, doing a podcast right at the start that 20 people were listening to. And as this has grown and as this is built and as we've built a bit of a community, it's given me a way into the media. So I haven't got a problem with fan media and I haven't got a problem with fan culture. What I've got a problem with is us losing all sight of what's rational, what's fair criticism and what is just somebody spouting hot air, thinking it's going to get them clicks and thinking that it's going to bring um, their dreams to them. It's going to make their dreams come true, that one day they're going to get a call up from the football club um, to go and do something because they were on the internet going mad. It, it, I know as well, I've got Arsenal friends who sit there and and go so big on a view and on an opinion, i.e. on Mikel Arteta, um, that, he, that he's terrible and he's awful and he's rubbish and we need to get rid of him. That there, there's a part of them that wants us to lose and it, it's too much. Um, it's too much. Back up your points with counterclaims. Back up your points with constructive arguments. And I will entertain different opinions to mine all day, every day. I love all that. I love the debate. I love the back and forth. 
But if you're just going to go in the chat and say, Harry's this, Harry's that, blah, 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 then are you actually contributing anything to the debate other than being a bit of a moron? No. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's go, uh, through, uh, some more of your, um, of your chat. Uh, Sasha Brady says, if Lacquer got dropped, who becomes captain? And this ties into another uh, question that we've got from uh, John, who says, is it time for Lacquer to be dropped? So we'll we'll put these two together. Is it time for Lacazette to be dropped? It's a hard one, because as I said to you guys yesterday, um, when I was sort of looking at the outputs of, of some of the other wide players and other wide forwards in the league and attacking midfielders, their head and shoulders above the outputs um, of ours, at the moment, in terms of Saka, Smith-Rowe, I mean, to put it into context, players like Wilfred Zaha, Jared Bowen, Rafinha at Leeds have produced more than Bukayo Saka, who I'm not knocking or criticising, but people tell me he's having an amazing season. They've put got more outputs than Emil Smith-Rowe, more outputs than Martinelli, more outputs than Martin Odegaard. And so this lack of goals... It is partly on Lacazette being the centre-forward, and a lot of that responsibility is on his shoulders for sure. And I am at the point, having sort of reviewed the weekend's game and having analysed it again, where I do probably think it's time to try something else. But the problem around scoring goals and the problem that we've had at various points this season, by the way, even when Aubameyang was at the club before somebody pulls out the Aubameyang card, we had problems scoring goals earlier on in the season when he was part of the setup. We've had, for the most part, more success in that department since he's left. But again, we've gone through a couple of periods and a couple of patches where it's not been up to the standard required. So I am at the pl in a place where I actually think that it's probably time to try something else up top. What that is, I'm not 100% sure. I don't really trust Eddie Nketiah enough, although I thought he was pretty good when he came on the other day, or at least better, and offered more than Lacazette had up to that point. Um, but the other thing is, the issue around the lack of goals is a collective issue at Arsenal. If you look at what Son outputs, playing from the left-hand side for Spurs, if you look at, as I say, what Zaha outputs, what uh, Jared Bowen outputs, you can see that our players in those areas are not doing enough as a collective. So the issue around scoring goals is, is a collective one. Um, and, and there's another thing that I think kind of needs to be addressed and, and needs to be said, and that's that Mikel Arteta took a big gamble going into this campaign on the premise that Saka... Emil Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, would be able to raise their level to the level that we need in order to sustain a European challenge. And I said that before the season kicked off. I said that before we'd even kicked the ball. At the time of recording, when we did our season preview, my view was, I'm hoping that he can get them to that level and I'm hoping that they can go up to that level. And they have improved and they have progressed. But are they at a level now where we can rely on them to deliver week in, week out? And are they delivering enough? Well, clearly not, because there's been a lot of games this season where I think a lot of those players that I've just mentioned have struggled to impact. Equally, on the flip side, there's been other games where they've been brilliant and they've won us games. So you have to have balance to your argument and balance to your point. But I am um, a little bit concerned about that as well, about the collective when it comes to goals, uh, as opposed to it just being about um, sort of Alexander Lacazette, although I would probably change something up top now uh, for sure. Um, Essex Guna says, is top four considered 
overachieving for the season? Would you be happy with fifth? And does Arteta get a contract extension if we finish in the, sorry, uh, if we finish fifth? Okay, so is top four an overachievement? I don't want to say it's an overachievement because of the way the season panned out, because of the way the door was left open for us. But it's our ceiling, if that makes sense. It's the maximum that this Arsenal side could achieve. So there's no room for further sort of improvement than that. That would have been the absolute ceiling. Arsenal underneath the glass ceiling like this, looking up. You can't go any further um, for, for this Arsenal side, in my opinion. So I'm not going to say it would have been an overachievement, but it would have been the absolute ceiling for us. Fifth, I think, and I said at the outset, was it would represent a solid season. A season where there has been progress, where we've moved from eighth to fifth. We've got much closer to the top four. We were in the race going into the final stages of the season. That would represent improvement. Now, it's up to you if you think that that improvement is enough to justify the new contract, if it's enough to justify um, sort of uh, pushing forward and continuing um, with uh, with all of that, uh, w- with the project that we're currently undertaking. I, I I don't know that I would be rushing to give Mikel Arteta a new contract if we finish fifth, um, you know, but I think that if you continue to see progress in terms of the turnover of the squad and you think that there's been enough, then then I'm not dead against it either. I, I also think that this whole thing about giving a manager a contract, it's not bec- like it doesn't mean you can't sack a manager. Right to give a manager a contract doesn't mean he's immune from the sack. How many managers have you seen go into jobs and get contracts and then get sacked, sort of midway through those contracts, maybe even a year in? Sometimes, in some cases, look at Nuno Espirito Santo months into it. So it's not about the, the contract thing. Is not about uh, saying that Mikel Arteta has to be the manager for the next three, four years without any consequence for Arsenal failing. No, that's that's not what it means. It's like having a footballer. You can sell the footballer during his contract. You're protecting yourself against somebody else coming in and nicking him. And listen, Mikel Arteta isn't the flavour of the month among the Arsenal fan base at the moment, but he is outside of the Arsenal fan base. And this is why I find it really difficult to process like why some of our fans really feel so strongly against him. A lot of people on the outside are looking at him and saying, well, nobody gave Arsenal a hope in hell finishing in in the top four this season. And they're not there and they probably won't be there come the end of the campaign. But they've given it a good go and a much better go than most people thought. And in the eyes of a lot of people outside of the Arsenal sphere, and I know this because I work in football media and I've come across journalists and I come across sort of people on the radio and, and pundits and talk to all sorts of people I know that the general consensus outside of the Arsenal sort of sphere is much more positive about Mikel Arteta than it is within. And I don't really get that. Like, I think as supporters, we have to be defensive of our team. I I don't know about you, but when I go onto any show or especially when I do 90 min, okay, I will be critical of Arsenal when I feel I need to be critical of Arsenal. But when someone starts to poke fun or has a go at Arsenal that has no affiliation to Arsenal, has no connection to Arsenal, I get defensive because that's what my natural inclination is as a supporter, as a lifelong supporter of this football club, is to defend its honour at every opportunity, is to bat off the criticism that comes from the outside. It's to fight back at it. 
don't have the energy to be doing it with our own fans as well. And and that's something that I think um, confuses me as to why so many fans want to do that, why want to be in that position where they do nothing but criticise. Be critical when you need to. Be constructive in your criticism. But there are so many out there who just want to bloody moan. And it drives me nuts. Um, Sasha Brady says, hey, he started with my question and didn't answer it. You're right. I didn't answer it. Um, I'll just quickly jump back to that. Uh, if Laka got dropped, who becomes captain? I think I'd give it to the tea lady as Terrell seems to be cursed. Well, I think it's pretty clear that Kieran Tierney is the next in line at the moment, given that um, he's the one who's been acting as vice captain whenever Alexander Lacazette has been taken off. So, yeah, um, I think that's that's a pretty... Uh, simple one uh, to answer based on what I think will happen anyway. Um, let's take a couple more uh, from from the chat, uh, from Twitter, sorry, and then we'll go over uh, to the chat box. Um, Doom and Guna says, and you can tell by the name that this, what type of question this is going to be. Uh, why is it fine for a rookie player to have a stinker of a performance while still showing clear progress, but not a rookie manager? Um, yeah, I mean, we do look at young players a lot of the time and when they don't perform, we say, oh, you know, it's, um, it's okay. He's young. He'll learn from it. And when it's a manager, we, we have no time for that. We have no time for learning on the job. We have no time, uh, for them, uh, sort of, um, sort of, you know, experiencing things and, and developing in that way. Look. I think, and I, and I have this conversation with one of my brothers all the time, and I think he's absolutely spot on on this, by the way. We place so much uh, responsibility on the manager. Yet, yeah, by the nature of the job, you are responsible for the performances of the team. But a lot of the time, and I'm not talking about this weekend because I thought Mikel Arteta set us up wrong. A lot of the time, as fans, we look at a game of football going into it and we say, oh, um, you know, Let's uh, let's look at the team. What's the team that Mikel Arteta's picked? Oh, yeah, he's picked this team. Actually, I agree with that. That's fine. And then when we get beat, we all go, oh, my God, the manager is to blame. He's, he's completely cocked this up. He's made a mess of it. What an absolute shambles. If you weren't moaning about it at the start, then I don't really think you're in a place to moan about it after. You can be uh, sort of analytical and you can be critical of it from a sort of hindsight perspective, but you always have to remember that that's coming from a place of hindsight and it's much easier to do it from that position than it is to foresee a problem or foresee an issue. So that's another thing that, that really drives me mad. Um, but with managers, there is no leeway that we never ever nowadays look at a manager and go, well, you know, he, he got it wrong, but it's okay. He's learning or we never go, yeah, he got this wrong in my opinion, but actually the players went out there and didn't apply themselves. Everybody seems to um, want to jump on the manager first and foremost. And that's part of the football culture nowadays because of the way that managers have been treated as well. If you look at how many managers get sacked in a lot of people's view unfairly, if you look at how quick certain clubs are to pull the trigger on managers, it's almost painted them in this light of, well, they have to get results today. And if they don't, then bin them. Well, that's not how football works. That's not how you build something with strong foundations. You look at Liverpool and you look at the success that they've had over the last few years and you look at how close they've been to an incredibly good Manchester City side and you have to believe 
And you have to say upon assessment that that has been built off very strong foundations that they allowed Jurgen Klopp to build. Now, I'm not saying Mikel Arteta is at Jurgen Klopp's level. I'm not saying that he'll ever be at Jurgen Klopp's level. But what I am saying is Rome wasn't built overnight. And despite people sort of having enough of Mikel Arteta, despite people being hugely critical of a lot of the things he's done during his tenure. This is his second full season in charge. It's his second full season as a manager, full stop. And to think that there were never going to be mistakes or questionable decisions is naive. You can argue, well, on the balance of things, has he done more good than bad? And and that can be the basis of your argument. But to to completely dismiss the the possibility of those mistakes happening or the possibility of him taking the wrong decisions is naive. And then the point that you need to come to when, so if you actually want to argue that Mikel in, Mikel out thing, you've got to do it from a place of, has there been more good than bad? Do you believe that in the way he man manages, which has been questionable at times, I've said it myself, that we get more benefit out of it than we, than, than what we lose. Like you have to weigh it all up. But it isn't always as black and white as get out, get out, get out. That's where it is. That's where I'm at. Uh, I still didn't answer Sasha's question, apparently, um, which is a shame uh, on me. He said Tierney's out for the season. That's why I asked. Oh, never mind. It's just going to be one of those days. Um, Okay, so, yeah, you're right. It's a valid point. Um, I would probably give it to... I don't want to give it to Xhaka, even though I would, because he just gets pelters left, right and centre and every, and more pressure on him is just never a good thing. Maybe Saka, maybe Bukayo Saka, regular in the team, someone we're trying to build around, maybe Bukayo Saka, maybe Ben White, don't know. Um, it's an interesting one. Okay, let's um, let's see what we're saying uh, in the chat box. Um Guna Colt says, Harry, I've been moaning about Arteta's inability to work with big personalities and his squad selection for three years. He has done great work for the overall culture, but his selection and tactics are no good. And, and that's, listen, that is a fair point to make. It's a fair point to make. And I've got no issue with that. What I would say is um, that for me, Mikel Arteta is a better coach than manager. Um I do think there's been times where he's come unstuck as a manager. I think in-game he's sometimes failed to recognise issues um, and, and that's cost us. And I think, as I as I keep saying, I thought he had a howler at the weekend as well. Um, but yeah, look, that's a fair criticism. That's a fair criticism. Uh, Fala says, Harry, the only reason we blame Arteta for almost everything is because when you try to blame the players, everyone will say the squad is the youngest in the league and are inconsistent. Yeah, but Fala, you you can't overlook the fact that young players tend to be inconsistent. I'm not saying that it's an excuse or a free pass. It isn't. You know, if you want to play at the top level, you've got to be up there from a very young age. You look at some of the greatest players of all time. Very few of them only caught people's eyes or only delivered regularly sort of in the latter stages of their careers. You need to be at that level from early on. And if you're not, Maybe you're not world-class. Maybe you're not top-class, like some of them are being billed as. I don't know. Um, but it's it goes back to what I was saying before. We blame managers. No, let me rephrase that. We, like I think as a manager, your responsibility, setting up the team right, creating the, the right structure, the right environment, embedding a philosophy, all of that, that's probably 
of of whether you go out there and be successful or not. The other 50% is with the players because only if you get that structure and set up and system right will they have a chance of succeeding. But you can get that structure set up and you can get that all correct and spot on. But if they don't go out and perform, then you might as well have not bothered. So the point I'm trying to make is that the responsibility for where Arsenal are and the responsibility for the fact that we're not um, as uh, sort of, you know, comfortable or, or in the driving seat for the top four anymore, that lays with both the players and the manager. It's not exclusive to one or the other. Um, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Guillermo says, when the although the fans... Uh, may be aggressive in their criticisms. Arsenal haven't ever operated in a way where they rashly sack managers. Agreed. And so if you know that, what good are you doing by turning up to the stadium, moaning and whining? If you know that Mikel Arteta is not going to get sacked. OK, let's let's take, for example, the next home game. Yeah, the next home game is, of course, that game against Manchester United. You know Mikel Arteta is not going to get sacked. We need to go there and create an, a cauldron of an atmosphere that gives our players the best possible chance of raising their game, raising their level and getting the result that we need. It's no good going there and moaning and bitching and whining for 90 minutes because that is not going to influence the people upstairs to pull the trigger on Mikel Arteta because as Guillermo quite rightly points out, they don't sack managers rashly as a football club. So it's not saying... It's like me, right? If I disagree with something, like let's say, for example... um. I don't know, my wife decides that she likes this colour of curtains. Okay? I disagree. I don't like them. It's not... It's, why am I going to keep banging on about it? She's gone out and picked the curtains that she wants and she's going to put the curtains up. You choose the things that you moan about and you choose the things that you complain about. You choose your battles is the point I'm trying to make. And if you... If persisting with that battle and sort of continuously being sort of really aggressive about it has the potential to do harm uh, to the team, then you need to back off a little bit because there's not going to be a sacking, whether you want it, whether I want it, between now and the end of the season. It's just not happening. Not happening at all. GB says, uh, let's be serious. You're losing the plot now. Managers, including Arteta, are paid millions a year. I'm sorry, there is no industry where executives collect those wages and don't have to get things right. Yeah, but GB, he has to get things right by the standard set by his employers, not by you, not by me. So if his employers have told him this season he needs to finish in the top six and get us back into Europe, then that's what he's going to be measured on. It doesn't matter whether you or I think that that is acceptable or whether you or I think the club are not showing enough ambition. Mikel Arteta will be rewarded if he does the job that was laid out to him and, and, and put to him by his employers when he took it or in a meeting that they had maybe at the start of the season. He's got to achieve their objectives, not yours, not mine, is the point I'm trying to make. In a, in a, in a business, the executives will collect their bonuses and their rewards if the business achieves its objectives, not what sort of onlookers think are the objectives. And that's a really, really key point. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, 
Afsar says, Harry, I never expected Arsenal to finish top four anyway, so I'd be happy with top six. But Arteta needs to get his act together fast. I don't think Arteta has done anything wrong. No, let me rephrase that because someone's going to jump on that. I don't think Arteta has done a lot wrong in recent months outside of the selection that he made against Brighton. And people keep talking about, you know, the Villarreal thing and the fact that he put Xhaka at left back a year ago um, in that game and that it cost us and it sort of damaged our midfield, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I totally agreed with that. That was one of the things I went big on at that point. But the point I'm trying to make is, if you look over the course of the season, barring the first three games, I think for the most part, Mikel Arteta has managed the team very, very well. And as I said to you, in my opinion, the ceiling was a top four. So to be in contention for that at this stage of the season means I can be critical of individual uh, decisions that he makes and I can be critical of certain things that he does. But I can't sit here and say that this season's been a disgrace or a failure or that he should be sacked at this point. It's premature. He does need to get his act together fast because I think he made a massive cock up at the weekend. But the point I'm trying to make is don't be so reactionary. To have Arsenal in fourth place up until last week or to get Arsenal into fourth place, all right, we didn't stay there for very long, but to be there or thereabouts was more than most of the naysayers thought he was capable of, was more than most people would have predicted Arsenal uh, sort of doing prior to the season kicked off. So how can it now be a disaster that we're fifth with a game in hand over fourth? It, it can't be. Now, if we go on and we finish seventh, eighth, I will be the first one to put my hands up and say we capitulated at the end of the season and that's not good enough. And now we have to have a serious conversation about whether or not this is the guy to take us forward. But how can I do that today is the point that I'm trying to make. Guna says, uh, Harry, I, I agree that we can't dismiss the accomplishments um, or room for errors. However, I am Arteta out because tactically, style of play and selection slash player management, I don't see him learn. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let's see what else uh, we've got. Um, Halo Mateus says, if you rate Arsenal by their squad, I would not say that Arsenal have the fourth or fifth best squad in the Premier League. At the moment, Arsenal are placed better than the quality of the squad. I agree with that. And again, I'll go back to the point I made earlier on about the over-reliance on young players, which is obviously down to partly down to Mikel Arteta, partly down to the club clearly uh, not investing enough because we made a load of signings, but we had to prioritise and we prioritised that Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe needed to play Martinelli, Odegaard for their development to continue. But yeah, you know, there are teams with better wingers, there are teams with better centre-forwards, teams with better central midfielders, teams with better centre-backs, teams with better goalkeepers. No doubt about that. And um, and I, I think, so at the start of the season, I thought that this team on paper was fifth or sixth in the league. And that's why my sort of prediction for the season was fifth or sixth. Anything below that, as I keep saying, is an underachievement. But you can't say that fifth is an overachievement if you think that this is the fifth, sixth best squad in the division. Let's take a few more. Um of your uh, comments. Uh, this is a really good one because for some reason, I, I don't know why we're still talking about him, but you're right, lovely lion, to raise this because I've seen it as part of that stupid thread that we read earlier on. Uh, the reasons that Arsenal or, or all the sackable fences that offences, sorry, that Mikel Arteta uh, has committed since being at the club. 
He says, we're talking about big personalities, but really we mean Ozil, who's been a nightmare to every single manager, agreed. And Oba, and we all know what Oba did. Arteta has got rid of two bad apples. Completely agree. Um, Ayoku says, good morning, Harry, and greetings from Canada. The truth is we don't have a Champions League team yet. We're still a season or two away. Being fifth on the table is punching above our weight. Uh, Gilfie Timoyle says, are you saying that anyone criticising the manager is not a supporter. That's absolutely not what I said. Um, so you might want to rewind the video back. I said you can be critical. I've been critical of him this week. I think there's a way of being critical that isn't damaging and that isn't counterproductive. You can be constructively critical and that is what we need. But when we turn up at the Emirates Stadium to watch our team and when we see our players coming out of that tunnel, we need to get behind them from minute one until the game is over. That's what our job is as supporters. It's the very definition of what a supporter does. You can be critical, but there is a time to be critical. And there's a way of being critical that is not harmful, that is not um, that is not uh, sort of personal to others, that is not damaging, that, that, that is not toxic. And people, you know, we, we had this discussion on, on Lee Judge's TV yesterday. Uh, I think Lee Judges said that um, the toxicity comes from the club not being ruthless in some of the decisions they take. And I love Lee, but I disagree with that comment. I, I don't think that's anything to do with it. I really don't. You know, for years and years and years, there's there's been Arsenal fans looking at the board and saying, well, I don't know about this. Um you know, and, and I'm not sure that I agree with this decision and I'm not sure that I agree with that decision. The toxicity comes from what I was talking about earlier. The glorification of people ranting and raving like idiots on social media. The, the credibility we give to people who do nothing to study or analyse the game, but instead choose to shout and scream and 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 hope that they're going to get clicks off it. That the glorification of that type of person and that type of character and that type of media is why there's so much toxicity around Arsenal Football Club. And we all know why there's more toxicity around Arsenal Football Club than any other football club at the, in the Premier League at the moment. And it's not because we're the worst run club, because we're not. There's much worse run clubs than us. It's because we, as a football club, and as a fan base, we're all responsible for this. Every single one of us have given credence to those people and given them a plan and sort of, you know, people say, oh, I don't like watching all that nonsense. I don't like watching people shouting and swearing. And I don't like watching people sort of ranting over the top and being crazy about my football club. Yeah, but you still watch it and you still share it on social media, even if it is to say, oh, what a twat this guy is. You're still sharing it. You're still doing your part in glorifying it. And that's that's where this toxicity stems from. Because people that go and give their opinions, um, you know, are and are genuine about their opinions or try at least to put their... And listen, some of those people, their opinions are genuine. That's fine. But I still think that if you have a massive audience, you have a responsibility to do it in a certain way. And um, for me... I don't pretend I'm outraged about something when I'm not. So some people say to me, oh, you just want to get in there with the club. What connection do I have with the club? That that is the, That drives me absolutely bonkers. What do I get from the club? I pay for my season ticket 
just like everybody else. I don't get any access to anyone within the football club, um, you know, other than what a, a normal sort of person working in the media would get, a normal journalist on a bog standard accreditation. I don't get any perks. I don't get any merchandise. I don't get anything from the football club. I just say it as I see it. And there are times where you'd have seen me outraged and there are times where you'd have seen me genuinely angry and passionate about what I'm talking about. And there are other times where I'm discussing an issue that I don't feel massively strongly about either way. That's not protecting the club. That's not being careful. That's just me being me and me not wanting to get outraged about or pretend I'm outraged about something that actually isn't that big a deal to me or I don't see as being that clear cut. Let's take a, a few more uh, of your questions. Let's take this one from Moss, who says, can Mikel Arteta go back to Nuno now? Change formation, perhaps. Hope Tommy Asu's back soon too. Any Thomas Partey updates? The Nuno thing is really, really interesting because as I said on the post-match, I feel like Mikel Arteta has done damage to a load of players um, in that Brighton game in terms of the way he sort of hang them out to dry Um in, in where they were deployed at the weekend, but also to Nuno Tavares, who didn't get on the pitch. Um, you know, he's he's struggled now as well because of, um, or he's going to struggle now because, of course, he has, um, he's had a real kick in the balls in terms of confidence. It's a hard balance to find because as a manager, it's not your job to babysit people and nurture them and make sure that they feel okay. And, you know, first and foremost, your, man, your, your job as a manager is to do what's best for the team. Now, I'd have picked Tavares. I've said it over and over and over again. Mikel Arteta obviously felt like he couldn't trust him. And even if you disagree with that decision, you can't forcibly say that it was made with the wrong intention because you don't know. You don't know what was going on in Mikel Arteta's head. You don't know his reasoning for it. Um, and until you think otherwise, or until there's evidence to suggest otherwise, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he didn't pick Nuno not because it's personal, but because he didn't think he was right for the job on the day. Maybe he didn't think his head was right after what happened against Palace. Maybe he didn't like the way he responded to it. I don't know. We don't know. You don't know. I don't know. So it's impossible to really kind of dive into that situation other than to be guessing about what may or may not have gone on. Formation change for me is a no-go. Um, I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to... I didn't want to see... Xhaka taken out of the midfield. I, I keep saying I wanted to see as least disruption to the side as possible. Tommy Asu, we've been told, is going to be back in training after the Southampton game. How long it will take him to get up to speed, I'm not sure. And as for Thomas Partey, no updates uh, on exactly when he is going to be um, be available. Uh, what else have we got in the comments? Uh, Odredek, 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 here we go. Harry, uh, don't you think Arteta's perfectionist approach is a bit naive? I think he should be more pragmatic and work with what he has and not exclude players completely. I've criticised Mikel for this in the past. I think that sometimes as a manager, you have to swallow your pride a little bit and you have to, you have to sort of relax your principles at times in order for the team to benefit. Yeah, I, I do believe that. Um, and I, I do think that he's a bit, militant in that way but I also think there are positives that come off the back of that as well so it's a valid point and and you're right to raise it I think that it is it can be a bit naive sometimes so maybe that comes from working at Manchester City where everything was perfect and you had the best players available to you and you you figured that if you stuck to your guns that you'd always come out on top but at Arsenal perhaps there's a little bit more sort of man management required for sure 
Uh, Inter says West Ham fans were toxic. Look at them now. They've got their own way. Yeah, but when you think about what they're toxic about, mate, so they were toxic about moving to the London Stadium and and the intentions of the ownership, who are still the same ownership, by the way. There's not been a change there. They've had another investor join in, but the, the ownership is the same. People calling the shots are the same. They were toxic about moving to the London Stadium. Now they don't stop talking about how incredible the atmosphere has been at the London Stadium because they can put 50, 60,000 in on these big European nights that they're having. They were toxic about the reappointment of David Moyes and said that it was a, a disaster waiting to happen. David Moyes, who's completely turned that football club around, saved them from relegation and then took them into their two best seasons. They're on course. If they can make the European uh, semi-final against Barcelona for the biggest game they've ever played in their history under a manager they didn't want in a stadium packed full of fans that they didn't want. So toxicity and outrage from fans it it can it doesn't always mean that what the fans want is right is the point I'm trying to make here. Okay, so if we let our fans decide what the best way to line up the team is or what the best way to approach certain games is tactically, it doesn't mean they'd be right. I mean, surely a professional football manager or executive who's overseen huge multi-million pound operations in the past is in a better position to call the shots than a fan like me or you, surely. Like, at what point do we respect these people for their position? I, I said this a lot during the pandemic. There's no respect anymore for people's professions and their track records. I had mates of mine who were telling me that, who were basically contradicting doctors who had spent their whole life studying. And when I said to them, okay, you know, sort of where did you get this information from? They told me, well, I've read it on the internet. Okay, you read it on the internet. doesn't mean it's right. And what makes you more qualified than somebody who studied medicine for the best part of a decade to comment on this? And it's the same with football. What makes us as fans, we can have our opinions, but what makes us more credible than a manager? Someone who's played at the elite level and who's then done his coaching badges and made the transition into management. What makes us more um, qualified than Edu? What makes us more qualified than the Cronkies to talk about how a multi-million pound sports franchise should be run. We don't always know best is the point I'm trying to make. And we can have our opinions and our views, but at some point there needs to be uh, a little bit of respect for the position that people hold. Otherwise, if you don't respect anyone, what's the point in hierarchies? What's the point in, um, in, in having any structure? Um, what else have we got? Uh, uh, Sasha says, I listen to Harry the Guna talk, ask cast and Arsenal vision. Hate shows determined to make me feel worse or refuse to apply perspective. Stop listening to Highbury Squad for that reason. Never watch AFTV. I, I like Highbury Squad. Highbury Squad's great. I like Sophie and I like Kevin Campbell. They're both brilliant. Um, I don't watch AFTV anymore either. I, I watch one show on AFTV. I watch, um, I watch Graham's tactical breakdown with James because I think that uh, Graham's fantastic and I really like James as well so I do watch that um but yeah 
okay, I'm not here to to dig out other channels or other content creators. Just, everyone has their opinions. There are people that don't like my channel. That's fine. You know, that's just the way it is. There's so many out there. You can choose the ones you like. Um, Jid says, uh, who would your preferred partner for Xhaka be in midfield? Elneny, who's reliable and solid and keep things simple. Or Lokonga, who we hope is more adventurous and daring, but riskier. Uh, this is the thing. I was quite happy for Lokonga to come into the side. Um, I really, really was. I just wasn't happy to see it when it was Lokonga alone in that midfield. Because let's be honest, I mean, we talked about it in the post-match. I don't wish to cover the same ground over and over again. Um, But, you know, but Lokonga was essentially left alone. Emile Smith-Rowe and and Odegaard were not going to do the jobs required there next to him from a defensive point of view. I'll be quite happy for Lokonga to stay in the team. But if Xhaka is going to continue at left back, then it has to be alongside Elneny for me in order to give us that greater balance. Going to pick up one or two more. Uh, let's take this one from Fala, who says, Harry, respect is earned, not given. Agreed. But Mikel Arteta, having been a professional footballer for a number of years, having coached under the best manager in the world at the moment um, and having been successful in that role, has earned more respect than you or I would ever earn um, when it comes to football. And so we can have our views, we can have our opinions, but to shoot people down all the time and and be and, and cross the line between being critical and being personal or being critical and being sort of agenda driven, I think is 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 not necessary at any point. So, yeah, that's where I am. Uh, Schrodinger says that football manager is the reason fans think they could do the job. Yeah, it probably, probably plays a part. Okay. Listen, we're going to leave it there. I'm going to wrap up, um, because, uh, we've been going for the best part of an hour. Thank you as always for tuning in. Uh, we've got some more brilliant content coming your way. Uh, we've got some, uh, reaction to a piece that I've been given exclusive access to. Um, regarding a current Arsenal player who's given a really interesting interview. We're going to be covering that interview on the Chronicles of Guna. We're going to be breaking it down and that'll be out on Wednesday when the interview drops. Can't say any more than that at the moment, but I promise you, you'll enjoy this one. Uh, So we're going to be doing that uh, a little bit later on in the week. Also going to be filming a bit of content this week from the Emirates Stadium, which is amazing. So uh, going to change it up a little bit. Won't be sitting here in the studio. I'll be at the Emirates Stadium uh, doing a couple of bits and pieces, which I'll share with you guys later on in the week. Okay, uh, I'll catch you all a little bit later on. Um, As I say, listen, we don't all have to agree. We just all have to be respectful of one another. And that's all it's about. People can have different opinions, no problem whatsoever. I just wish people would sort of put those opinions across. And we're lucky we have a lot of that here, but I just want people to put their opinions down in words, counter some of the points I make, do it without calling me X, Y, Z, do it without calling anyone X, Y, Z, because none of that is necessary. We all want the same thing. We all want Arsenal to be successful. Unfortunately, though, I'm starting to think there's a lot of Arsenal fans out there that would rather be proven right and see the team flourish. We'll be back very soon with more. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.